0: Since Kratom is so widely used, there would be economic reasons for people to try to find solutions. The absence of Kratom by such policy changes could lead to aggravation of the opioid abuse and addiction problem.
1: You're listening to Narcotica,
0: a podcast giving you the straight dope about drugs and the people who use them.
1: Mitragyna speciosa may not mean much to most people, but it's the name of one of the most controversial plants today. Better known as kratom, or kratom, this Southeast Asian tree has made a big splash in the United States in the past decade. It's even spawned a lobbyist group, the American Kratom Association, which estimates that between 3 and 5 million Americans use kratom on a regular basis. The reason people are mixing the red vein leaves of this strange plant into teas and extracts is because of two alkaloids, mitragynine and 7 hydroxymitragynine Depending on the dose, these two drugs can have stimulating effects or alternatively pain-relieving effects. For better or worse, a lot of folks are taking kratom and throwing out their prescription medications. These two molecules may hold a lot of therapeutic promise for people with chronic pain or opioid use disorder, But the Food and Drug Administration, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and several other three-letter government bodies have spent the last several years proclaiming Kratom is addictive and deadly. I'm Troy Farah and you're listening to Narcotica. My guest today is Walter Prozilek. He's a pharmacology professor at Midwestern University who has a long-standing interest in herbal medicine, including marijuana and Kratom. In fact, he was one of the first people to write academically about this plant. Uh, Walter is co-author of a new paper from the International Journal of Drug Policy called Kratom Policy, The Challenge of Balancing Therapeutic Potential with Public Safety. It just came out a couple months ago, uh, but the co-authors are some of the loudest voices in the Kratom research community. Chris McCurdy, Mark Swagger, Andrew Krugel, Edward Boyer, the late Bonnie Avery, and a few others who have spent many years studying and weighing the actual benefits of Kratom against the risks. Walter, welcome to Narcotica.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to speak.
1: All right, before we get too far into the weeds here, I kind of want to give listeners a little more background on kratom. It's native to Thailand, Indonesia, and Malaysia, and people have been using it there for at least a century, not thousands of years, but at least a a century or more. Uh, But how does American use of this drug differ from Asian use. Another question I really wanna address because a lot of people say Kratom isn't a drug, although it clearly is a drug, is Kratom an opioid?
0: Okay, those are two very important issues. Uh, As you said, Kratom has been used traditionally in Southeast Asia for at least 100 years. It's been used for everything from use as a mild stimulant, to treatment of pain and uh, to the management of opioid addiction or opioid use disorder. Uh, Despite the widespread use of kratom in that part of the world, there were very few adverse effects reported, even with extended long-term use. That is where people would be using most days over most of their adult lives. In that situation, uh, kratom seemed to be quite safe and did not cause significant harm to society. Uh, It's interesting that when kratom products started showing up in the West, uh, even though most of the products were clearly benign and produced effects that were similar to kratom products sold in Southeast Asia, in the West, there began to be reports of rare cases where individuals had unusual and sometimes severe reactions to Kratom. For example, some people were reported to have seizures. Some people were reported to have opioid-like respiratory depression, uh, various other symptoms that were reported in these cases cases where individuals had used Kratom. Now the DEA and the FDA, when they heard these reports, they became concerned about the safety of Kratom products being sold in the United States. And another factor that has touched on this problem is some of the Kratom vendors themselves have been less than scrupulous in marketing Kratom products in the West. Uh, The big issue is some of the vendors have actually spiked or supplemented their Kratom product with stronger drugs, sometimes including fentanyl or other opioids, uh, sometimes amphetamine-like drugs, uh, often synthetic cannabinoids, So the problem has been people in the US who think they are buying Kratom can't really be sure what they are getting. So we have the situation where in Southeast Asia, Kratom appears to be quite safe and relatively benign and maybe potentially beneficial for a lot of different effects. In the US, a lot of people are using Kratom But there are these rare cases of poisoning that one can debate the severity of the problem. But the fact that there are these cases of poisoning raises concerns about Kratom products in the U.S. So uh, in the U.S., people who want to use Kratom can't really be sure what they're getting when they buy the product.
1: The debate about kratom is is centered sometimes on uh, some semantics like whether uh, Whether it's a drug which you know the leaf maybe is not a drug But the, the chemicals that are inside the leaf are drugs.
0: I, I think the main point is of debate is Are the active constituents in kratom? opioids that is do they produce opioid like effects And that is a question that pharmacologists even debate. Uh, The fact is that research has shown that the two main active compounds in kratom, mitragynine and 7 hydroxymitragynine do both bind to subtypes of opioid receptors. These would be the same receptors that drugs like morphine bind to. Uh, So because they do that, many people refer to them as opioids. Now, my argument is there are many drugs that bind to those receptors that don't stimulate those receptors and The best example is the drug naloxone, Narcan, that's used to treat opioid poisoning. It binds to opioid receptors, but rather than stimulating the receptors, it blocks them. So it can reverse the effects of opioids like heroin or fentanyl that people might be poisoned with. So uh, a drug like naloxone, it binds to opioids, but nobody in their right mind would call it an opioid. They would call it an opioid antagonist because it antagonizes the effects of opioids. The case with the mitragynans is a little different. They bind to what's called the mu type of opioid receptor and they partially stimulate it, but they don't fully stimulate it. So they're not quite exactly like Stronger opioids like morphine, the other thing that they do is they act at another type of opioid receptor called the delta receptor, and there they act as antagonists they block the effects of drugs at delta receptors, so they are not like opioids exactly uh. And the term that I think most chemists are starting to use is that the the, mitragynines are atypical opioids. And I think that's the term that I would prefer.
1: Yeah, that's a term I also prefer um, because it just makes sense clinically. Um, The other thing about mitragynine and 7-hydroxymitragynine is they don't seem to activate the beta-arrestin-2 signaling pathway.
0: Yeah, the effects of the compounds on the intracellular signaling pathways, which is how a drug produces effects inside the cell, which is basically how the drug does what it does, Uh, the effects of the mitragynines are much different from those of classic opioids. And one of the things uh, Troy mentioned that, The mitragynines don't recruit a substance called beta-arrestin, which all known addictive opioids, when they interact with opioid receptors, one of the events is the recruitment of beta-arrestin, which is thought to play a role in the development of some of the side effects of opioids and maybe even opioid, uh, some of the symptoms of poisoning.
1: Right, basically, it makes it can make you stop breathing and yes, overdose. Yes. That's
0: the that's the main effect of activation of beta arrestin by opioids. And the interesting, the mitragynins do not have that effect. And in overdose situations, mitragynins do not depress respiration, which makes them far safer than traditional opioids.
1: Yeah, so it doesn't make sense to classify them as opioids. Atypical opioids works really well. Uh, The CDC and the FDA have linked Kratom to several deaths. The total seems to be less than 100, and only a handful of the deceased had solely Kratom in their system. In other words, it could have been the booze, the benzos, the opioids, or whatever that caused the death in combination, or even separately from the Kratom found in their bloodstream. Uh, But is it possible for Kratom to cause a fatal overdose?
0: that's what we really don't know completely uh one of the leading kratom researchers uh in the world is dr darshan singh who's in malaysia and he has examined the history of kratom use and reports of toxicities from kratom use in southeast asia and he has made the statement both verbally and in writing that no one has ever died from a Kratom overdose in Southeast Asia. So when it's used in its natural state, the drug appears to be pretty safe. And it's interesting that all of these reports of Kratom severe toxic toxicities and Kratom-related deaths are from western countries mainly the united states and as you said in almost every case um, other drugs were involved many of the individuals had very complex existing health problems from epilepsy to untreated depression to uh, bipolar disorder so the poor victims had a lot of issues and it's not clear how much kratom actually contributed to the, uh, the deaths. The other issue in the west, and I sort of touched on this before, is that many of the kratom products that these overdose victims might have been using, we don't know what those products are. Were they fortified extracts of kratom? Were they products that were adulterated with substances like fentanyl. Uh, The autopsy results and the forensic toxicology results of a lot of the 95 overdose uh, deaths uh, suggest that other factors are involved. Uh, So we're just not sure. Uh, That's where some regulation of the Kratom industry in the U.S. might be needed just to standardize quality control and hopefully the safety of Kratom products.
1: And, and these high-profile cases have uh, raised you know, the alarms in some states that have, have banned Kratom, such as uh, Alabama and Arkansas. But yet, strangely enough, a couple of states have written laws recently protecting the rights of Kratom users. These laws are so-called Kratom Consumer Protection Acts, the first to pass was surprisingly Utah, I believe, followed by Georgia, Arizona, and most recently, Nevada. And Oregon considered touch a law last week, but then kind of backed off of it.
0: Yeah, I, I was aware of that trend, which I think is uh, a wonderful trend. I think that it, it rationally offsets the effects of some of the uh, hyper journalism, you know, the sensationalistic aspect of, you know, an instance where a young person in a certain geographic area might die and there might be this drug that most people have never heard of, Kratom. And uh, it does tend to get sensationalized in the news and people watch the news, they hear the news and in smaller communities, uh, the political leaders will respond very quickly and there have been these initiatives to restrict or make Kratom illegal in certain geographic ju- areas and uh, governmental jurisdictions. But as you mentioned, there is this opposite trend to protect crater u- Kratom users' rights. Uh, I just read an interesting news report from uh, it was Pocatello, Idaho, where a young man had died and Kratom was one of the many drugs found in his system. And the coroner, rather than expressing concern that Kratom was this you know, scourge of the public, the coroner took a very rational position and said even if Kratom did help or contribute to this young man's death. There are so many millions of Kratom users who have no problems using it. And he actually argued not to ban Kratom, but for some sort of regulation to assure quality control and dosage standardization. It was a really interesting story.
1: It, it is interesting that some of these states are passing these laws, but some of them may not actually have much of an effect, right? I mean, after all, if Utah legalizes kratom, it doesn't really matter because the drug still has to be imported, It still has to go through ports of entry.
0: Yeah, and in this day and age, you know, state barriers, state borders are meaningless, and you know, drugs are easily transported uh, across state lines.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, one of the things that I find really interesting about Kratom is that it really underscores how pitiful addiction treatment is in the United States. We have an addiction crisis on our hands, it's not just opioids, and in many cases you can't just go and get treatment even though that's essentially what the FDA suggests. Don't you Kratom to get off heroin, they say, go get addiction treatment. But there are long wait lists, excessive restrictions on medication like methadone or buprenorphine, and insurance doesn't always help much. So a lot of people turn to this weird herb from Southeast Asia, and it does seem to help. Uh, but let's talk about this: Is kratom useful for opioid use disorder, and and but can it also be addictive itself? Uh,
0: I would say there is abundant evidence based on user reports that both of those are true. Kratom can be used to suppress uh, symptoms of withdrawal from opioids. It can be used as opioid maintenance treatment. That's where the person, rather than just using Kratom to withdraw from opioids and then they stop Kratom, they might keep using Kratom and just maintain on Kratom, which reduces their craving for stronger opioids. So that's one way in which Kratom is widely used right now. And as people continue to use Kratom, Kratom, uh, they can become dependent, which most people use the word addicted. Dependent is probably a better word. But uh, when a person is dependent on a drug, that means they crave the drug if they don't get it. And also, if they don't get it, you will see symptoms of withdrawal. It's interesting, there are recent studies from Sean Singh's group in Southeast Asia that indicate patients who do become d- dependent on Kratom, these are long-term Kratom users, who go off Kratom, they report the severity of withdrawal symptoms as relatively mild, and they rate them much less than withdrawal symptoms from classic opioids. Uh, So that's a real important point. And uh, those recent studies, the results have just been published in the past few months. So they're available.
1: Yeah, and and the FDA seems to just kind of ignore this aspect of it, whereas the National Institute of Drug Abuse uh, seems to actually, well, they at least acknowledge it. And it's kind of weird when NIDA is the voice of reason on a topic like this.
0: I I think it makes sense that NIDA might be the force of reason. Uh, I didn't realize this until I got involved in the Kratom controversy. To me, the DEA, FDA, and NIDA were all the same, but they really do have different missions. Uh, The DEA, well, first we'll start with the FDA they're mainly concerned with the safety of food and drug products. So their job is to protect public safety by assuring quality of products before they're approved for use and sale on the market. The DEA is mainly concerned with enforcement of drug laws. It's Drug Enforcement Administration. So they sort of have to enforce the rules that are set mainly by the FDA. But the DEA is the enforcement arm of the federal drug complex. Now NIDA is part of the National Institutes of Health and NIDA is basically a research institute. NIH is based on its main mission is research to improve human health. So Research involves seeking the truth, and it's so interesting in statements that have been issued about kratom. Statements just describing what kratom is. If you look at the ones provided by the DEA, their statements are very anti kratom and they overstate the risks. Statements from the FDA are similar, they're very critical with kratom and they probably overstate the risk. Statements from NIDA have been much more reasoned instead of saying people use kratom for management of opioid addiction even though there is no evidence for its uh, use, its effectiveness. Their statements might read uh, proponents contend that kratom can be used to manage symptoms of opioid withdrawal the wording of the documents from the three government agencies it, it's so different from one to the other it's remarkable uh we mentioned that in our recent policy paper uh the one that i wrote with the other kratom uh researchers
1: so yeah let's go back through a little bit what you said um I mean, the FDA—they should be regulating the safety of drug and food, food and drug products. And there has been some controversy with salmonella contamination and uh, heavy metals leaching into yeah. the crowdum. But it seems like you know the FDA is like just wants to encourage the DEA to ban this drug um, w- rather than literally doing their job, which is to regulate the safety of it. it I, I
0: find that approach uh, sort of irrational. I mean. They find toxic metals in spinach and salmonella and cabbage. And, you know, you do get warnings from time to time, you know, don't use the spinach or don't use the lettuce for a few weeks. And But they don't ban spinach or lettuce. I mean, handling of a plant product, there can be risks for contamination, but all that would be needed to correct that problem would be some sort of quality control. And most ethical producers of natural products or herbal products do that. Uh, In the kratom industry, I think there is a move towards development of good manufacturing policies that wouldn't include quality control testing for things like salmonella and E. coli, toxic metals like lead, mercury, arsenic, cadmium. I think there is the beginnings of a movement in that direction within the kratom industry, but that's badly needed.
1: Yeah. And in regards with the DEA, like yes, they're the enforcement arm of it, but they can also decide what they're going to enforce with their uh, schedule One powers, and they try yeah. to do that with kratom.
0: Yeah, that's a huge power, and it's it's a tough judgment decision. Uh, some of the drugs that are in Schedule One, they're still being touted as having potential therapeutic benefits, and there's research, clinical trials of the drugs. Schedule One status, though, greatly restricts the ability for researchers, especially in the U.S., to study the drugs.
1: Let's talk about Indonesia. There was some major news from there this week. Uh, the majority of, of kratom that is imported to America comes from there. Um, and this week, Trump's FDA asked the Indonesian Minister of Health to ban kratom exports. Um, and while the ban goes into effect in five years, it seems like it might happen. Uh, this is a problem because kratom is not legal in many of the places where it is native, uh, yeah. Malaysia or Myanmar, for example. In Thailand, kratom has been illegal for decades, uh, which has resulted in the Thai military literally burning down swaths of the rainforest trying to eradicate this native tree. It's it's pretty yeah. insane. Uh, but they have since legalized medical kratom uh, and medical marijuana at the same time. I'm not sure if these programs have fully been rolled out yet, um, but what what can we say about the regulatory uh, climate in Southeast Asia?
0: Well, the fact that Thailand did legalize some forms of Kratom use is a really encouraging decision. Uh, The history of why Kratom was banned in Thailand actually had nothing to do with Kratom causing problems for users. Uh, It wasn't because of kratom being an addictive or a toxic drug. It was because people who used kratom tended not to use opium, which was a product that was taxed by the Thai government. So (laughs) if there weren't more opioid users, uh, the the number of opioid users was reduced because so many people were using kratom. To fight that trend, the government outlawed Kratom. Uh, so more people would use opium. That's why it was made illegal in the first place. So it, it, the laws don't always make sense. But the fact that Thailand did change their law is encouraging. There, It's my understanding there's a similar movement in Malaysia, but there the political situation is a bit unstable. Uh, The Malaysian scientist that I talked to is not sure how things are gonna work out there with regard to legalization. But in parts of Malaysia, even though it's technically illegal, it is tolerated. And it's tolerated to the point that the researchers there can actually go out and find large populations of Kratom users begin to do studies on you know, how do they use, what are the effects of usage on their lives, uh, what happens if they don't use, why do they use. So all of these types of studies are being done in a country, Malaysia, where kratom is still technically illegal, simply because most of their society tolerates the use of the drug.
1: What do you think will happen if Indonesia goes forward with this ban?
0: That would create a problem because I think it's my understanding, as you said, that most uh, kratom in the U.S. does come from Indonesia. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what that would mean. Uh, It it would drive the price up, for one thing. Uh, Would alternative sources be found? Would somebody figure out how to grow it elsewhere? Uh, I don't know all of that. I'm sure since Kratom is so widely used, there would be economic reasons for people to try to find solutions. On the Kratom users end, besides having to look harder to find Kratom, the prices would be up there might be a tendency to use alternative drugs. And in this case, the alternative would be opioids, which are much worse than kratom. So uh, the absence of kratom by such policy changes could lead to aggravation of the opioid abuse and addiction problem. It's one possibility.
1: You can't seem to grow the tree in the U.S. Uh, I'm mean, well, you can, but it, it, for some reason the tree doesn't produce uh, the the desired alkaloids, mitragynine and 7-hydroxymitragynine. Uh, do we know a little bit more about why that is? Yeah,
0: I, I've recently spoke with some of the people at the University of Florida that are trying to grow the plants. They actually have a kratom growing center that they've established on university-owned land, and they've managed to grow the plants and they look like normal plants, but they just don't seem to produce the right levels of the mitragynins and other chemicals. So for some reason, these plants aren't producing the same chemicals that they do in uh, Southeast Asia which is really interesting. People are trying to figure out what the factors or what causes this difference. Is it something in the soil in Indonesia that isn't in the soil in Florida? uh, There's all sorts of possibilities. Uh, I I just had a weird idea. Could the micro, it's called the microbiome that surrounds the roots of the plant could that be different? And could that affect you know, the absorption of different materials, the metabolism of materials at the root level? Uh, that could be one effect. Might there be some uh, insects or something that triggers the plant to produce the active chemicals? Um, I could think of 100 experiments that would be really neat to do, but I don't think the answer is no.
1: Yeah, I I think it's interesting you brought up the microbiome thing because I was just reading about... There's a study that came out last summer about... um, This is really kind of off-topic, but it's interesting to me. Um, These cicadas became infected with a mushroom, a fungus, and it produced amphetamine and psilocybin, uh, and it affected the cicada, made it go crazy and fly around, and it was infecting the the rear end of the cicada and it's shaking this fungus-infected butt and it's spreading spores everywhere. They they just discovered this last year um, and in the paper they wrote, the discovery of cathinone and massospora infected cicadas also raises interesting questions about the biological origin of amphetamine production in catha plants and the possibility of cryptic Fungal partners involved in its biosynthesis. In layman's terms, like there could be a fungus that is the reason why we have cathinones in plants, so like I- ibogaine or uh... that.
0: That is a really great, it's idea and great piece of work. If they have proven that, uh, that that's really interesting. With regard to kratom, I was going to send a note to Chris McCurdy about my idea. I'm sure Chris has already thought about it. He's pretty thorough in his work.
1: It just, uh, the, the relationship with plants and fungus is so interesting.
0: Well, people are now realizing the relationship between uh, mi- microbes, including fungi, and people are a lot more complicated and important than we ever thought.
1: That's absolutely true. And, and that's why I think it would be devastating if kratom or kratom was a uh, schedule one, because it has so much to teach us. Uh, We have so much research to do, not me personally, but there's so much we can learn from this plant. Um, I'm really interested in mitragynine pseudo-indoxyle, which is produced when kratom is fermented. Um, And it seems like it's a bit more therapeutic than mitragynine itself, although I could be wrong about that. Um, And then there are all these companies that are trying to produce kratom-like drugs. Um, There are a few, but I've heard that... uh, these analogs don't really have much therapeutic promise. It's just been kind of experimental. Yeah,
0: there's uh, there's two issues. Some it, one is they just don't seem... It, most people who do drug development research, they'll try to screen the compound to see what receptors it interacts with. So that's pharmacodynamic activity. But then they also have to worry about solubility characteristics and how does the drug get through membranes if it was put into a body could it get to the organ that it had to act on Uh, those are called pharmacokinetic issues and many of the compounds that have been looked at from kratom have good pharmacodynamic activities they show drug receptor interactions that might be used to produce therapeutic effects but the problem is their solubilities are such it's almost impossible to formulate them into a form that could be given as a tablet or even injected so uh, that that's been a problem with kratom drug development kratom drug development isn't something new the old smith klein and french pharmaceutical company actually did a series of studies way back in the 1970s, and it's some of the best research that's been done on the Mitra uh, Some of the best papers were published way back then.
1: So I guess there's there's some conspiracy theories floating around the internet that, you know, former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb had ties to some of these companies developing kratom drugs and that they're just holding off on the patent and everything. I I don't know how much you know, worth to give to these theories, but they're interesting. Um, It just seems to me that they can't produce a drug that's as good as what can be produced in the plant. That
0: is possible, and it could be there are other materials in the plant that interact with each other to produce the beneficial effects of kratom. That's a very important point about kratom, and it could be that the whole plant based concoction or extract extract would produce a different spectrum of effects than any one chemical from that concoction. So that's a real important point.
1: Yeah, that's a theory in and medical cannabis called the entourage effect, which I'm sure you're familiar with. It it basically that, you know, in isolation Cannabinoids aren't as effective when you have a full spectrum plant. It's way more therapeutic. We've had Marinol, which is you know synthetic THC, on the market since the '80s, but it's not a very effective drug for a lot of things. It's it's effective for appetite um, and uh, anti-emetic. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I was going to say. Um, but th- that could also apply to Kratom. I think there's, there's about 40 alkaloids in the leaves. We really only focus on the two that are most abundant. Uh, and there could be this whole combination of all these things working together. It's really very interesting.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Do you have an opinion on what people should do if Kratom is banned? I don't, I don't want to get too extreme here, but I've been reporting on this since 2014. And and some people have told me that they will commit suicide if kratom is banned. Uh, these are folks that have been forcibly tapered off of opioids by their doctors, and they see no other option for treating their illnesses. Um, mm. I hope that that wouldn't happen, but I, I want people to, I don't know, have like a plan B or something.
0: I, I I agree with you. That's a really scary scenario, and I hope that can be avoided, that somehow... We can address access to the drug abuse and drug dependence problems in terms of increased options for treatment, opportunities for treatment that people can actually have access to and afford. Right now, it's almost impossible in certain geographic areas for some people, without a lot of financial resources, to find any type of access to drug abuse, drug addiction treatment, especially if they have severe problems. If we lose like a relatively inexpensive product, like Kratom, that people can use on their own uh, without you know, medical supervision, would be great if we could get medical supervision, but most patients can't. Uh, That would, I think the loss of something like Kratom would really be a disaster for a lot of people. I agree. The one thing is even a, a year ago, I was pretty depressed about how policies on Kratom might turn out I was almost certain that the FDA and DEA would move the Mitragynines to schedule one status, which would basically ban sale and possession of Kratom products by most people in the United States. It would also have stifled Kratom research, which would address some of the issues that the federal agencies were concerned about. I'm a little more positive this year because I think some of the federal agencies, especially NIDA, the National Institute of Drug Abuse, has taken a more rational and scientific approach to Kratom research and has recognized that we need more information before we can make a rational decision. And they have awarded several very large research grants to do some of the most important studies on Kratom, which need to be done so that we can evaluate safety and efficacy. Does it work for any therapeutic condition? Is it safe? Does it have a high risk of harming people? So with the monies that have been invested by NIDA, a lot of these key questions should be answered. And no one knows how research is ever going to turn out, but if those studies are done, at least the individuals who have to make the final decision, is Kratom safe or isn't not, at least they will have sound scientific information, which at this point we just don't have. We need much more. So um, since NIDA is investing money into this, I think the other agencies, the DEA and the FDA, will be a little more patient and wait and see how some of the studies go before they make any final decision on Crater.
1: Yeah, and in the meantime, it seems like more states will start passing these consumer protection laws while some others will probably pass more bans.
0: Yes, others will pass more bans. Yeah. It's it's it depends on the news coverage in a geographic area.
1: Well, we're trying to change that.
0: Um, I, I know. That's why I pre- appreciate the work you do.
1: Um, do you know of any other states that are going to try to pass Consumer Protection Acts? I know New York is considering one.
0: I don't know off the top of my head. I think I think the issue has come up in Idaho and Oregon also, but I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, Oregon this week basically said, or maybe it was last week, that they uh, they're going to wait to decide. It's weird that places like Arizona and uh, uh, Georgia are more progressive on this issue than a place like Oregon.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is strange. The policy across the country are highly variable.
1: Yeah, to say the least.
0: Yeah. And, you know, if someone travels with Kratom and they end up in a state where it's illegal, I mean, they, they could in theory, end up in major pri- trouble.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, that was all my questions. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Okay. Uh, is there anything uh, people can find out more about you?
0: Well, they can find me on the web. Just Google Google my name and my whole life story comes up. Um, always willing to answer questions about Kratom, and uh, I just hope my information is helping People take a rational look at the uh, the potential benefits and potential problems with kratom. I just want to find the truth and then tell the truth.
1: Yeah, me too. Like, I'm not I'm not an evangelist for this drug. You know, it's interesting. Like, I've, I've tried it a couple times and it doesn't really do much for me. Um, I wish I was like Chris McCurdy because I heard he, he told me actually that uh, he's never taken it and he doesn't have any plans to take it. But he's doing all this research on it.
0: Well, um, I'm the type of scientist that if I'm doing research on something and it's legal, I'm going to try it. Yeah. I've tried Kratom and it produces no effects that are opioid like, uh, at least to me. And it's like having a strong cup of coffee. And I do think it alleviates pain. I would love to be able to do those types of studies, but right now that'd be very difficult to do, given the controversy with Kratom. A lot of universities would not, not allow researchers to study such controversial materials. that's uh, just the world we live in. Yeah, I am going to be doing some uh, uh, new studies on Kratom, though we're going to buy random samples and measure the mitragynine contents, and also look for levels of toxic metals and uh, the possible microbial contamination, especially salmonella and E. coli, just to see is this really a problem, which is something that the DE- FDA was really concerned about.
1: Well, that's awesome. I'll, I'll have to look out for that when it comes out.
0: Yeah, we're going to start small and just see how it goes. I have a really good team assembled for this and uh, have state-of-the-art technology available through someone at Michigan State University who can handle this, handle the metal analysis, which is the hardest part of this.
1: That's awesome. Well, best of luck to you, and thanks again for coming on the show.
0: Yeah. And thank you, Troy. And I'm available anytime you have a question or whatever you want to talk. Just give me a call. All
1: right. I'll talk okay. to you soon.
0: Thanks, Troy. Bye.
1: That was Walter Prozelic, a pharmacology professor at Midwestern University and one of the world's leading Kratom researchers. Narcotica is an independent production by Christopher Morav. Zachary Siegel, and myself, Troy Farah. Our co-producer is Aaron Ferguson and our theme music is by Glassboy. Additional music this round is by Ian Sutherland and Meyer. You can follow Narcotica on Twitter at Narcocast or on Narcocast.com. We're proud to be keeping this program free of corporate influence. If you want to help us out with that, join us on Patreon. We are so grateful to the people that make this program possible. If you want to help us out the best thing you can do is spread the word or rate us wherever you get your podcasts tell your friends about us or join the narcotica community at patreon.com narcotica if you want to send us a suggestion tell us about how kratom has impacted your life or just want to say hi you can email us at tips at narcocast.com that's all for now take care